listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Yeah. I'm laughing at my own joke that I'm about to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just, I think I'm really you funny You think you're sometimes. very funny. You think you're clever, don't you? You think you're clever, don't you? Anyway. Welcome hello, back. Welcome back to another episode of Best So Cold, the true crime, true crime podcast where we drink wine. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to get it together That's, and say this okay. joke. The true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of your excellent co-hosts, Laura Elise, and there's no disputing that today I'm <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> That's so bad. I can't believe you're also breaking so hard on that. And it's like funny. your job is to talk <sighs> on a show and you're like, you can't speak. Take two. Take two. I'm one of your amazing co-hosts, Laura at least. And there's no disputing that today I'm covering Rasputin. Wow. Very I think nice. That's great. Yeah, I think that anyway. What 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 did you come up with? I didn't have week? anything. Well, there you go. Great. So I don't shit on mine. So I'm just gonna say I'm Tamator. I'm the other half of Best of Cold. My tag isn't as great as Laura's. That damn straight. Let's not compare tag sizes. Anyway, welcome to another episode. If you're new around here, welcome, welcome to the community. Welcome. We like to do a little disclaimer at the start of each episode where we say that we tend to swear a lot on this show. So if you are someone who doesn't like swears, we would very kindly ask that you fuck off and not leave us a one-star review. Yep. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, anyway, I don't think I have no housekeeping aside from saying follow us on socials. Yeah. At um, the BSC podcast. Things have been a bit hectic just because the lockdown's sort of ending and we're all getting back into regular life. So... Things might be a bit slower on the social sides for a bit, but we'll sort we're of doing our best, guys. Yeah. We're doing our best. Yeah. Um, apart from that, yeah, welcome to the show and let's just dive right into it. Uh, it is probably my turn, I guess. It's my turn it's to go It's your turn. Okay, cool. I do you checked. want to go first? I do. I really okay. do. Because I feel go. like the people are now hanging, gripped to the edge of their seats <laughs> waiting for my story. Anyway, in case you didn't realize... I will be talking about Rasputin. So Grigory Rasputin, who I'm fairly certain is a name that most people know, although he's not. Technically, I guess it doesn't... Oh, no, he was murdered. So, yeah, it falls into the true crime community. Yeah. But I've personally always been fascinated with the story of uh, Rasputin and just the Romanov family, I guess... It was definitely instilled in me from a young age from the Disney movie Anastasia... Uh, but there's also a few oddities around the actual Grigory Rasputin around his death and I guess his rise to power within the Russian aristocracy. Yep. Really stumbled with that word for a second. Fantastic. So first of all, I would like to say, clearly I'm not a historian, so I have done my best. Could you tell? In researching this, but you know, I haven't like dedicated my life to studying Grigory Rasputin. So if there are some details incorrect. Yeah, look, guys, or this some is... some things I've missed. You come here for us and us being 
profoundly unprofessional. Yeah. We're not, yeah, we're not historians. You come for the puns, but you stay for the true crime. Exactly. So I also apologize for any potential wrongful Russian pronunciations because, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you can imagine, there are a lot of them. You do get a lot of Russian too. Yeah, you I do. You do a lot of cases with Russian. I do. So I try and help myself out by writing the words phonetically. Yeah. But, you know, Russian is a hard language. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You should try doing some more French cases. Maybe. I can say French words. Okay. Anyway, let's get into it. So Rasputin was born to a peasant family on the 21st of January, 1869. FYI, he was an Aquarius. So he was born in a small village along the Tura River called Pokrovskyo. Pokrovskyo, I think I said that right. And his parents were Anna and Yekum. So Rasputin was born to a family of seven children, all of whom had died within their infancy. So already he was kind of a bit of a miracle child. But aside from that, there's really not a lot to glean from his childhood. It seems fairly normal aside from there are loads of stories uh, about him being like a naughty, unruly young boy that would like steal things and just kind of cause general mishaps right but also a lot of the stories that you hear about here are kind of uh shrouded in the infamy and mystery and magic of his own legend so it's kind of like any of the more wild stories of him as a kid are kind of like was that true or did you make that up because you thought he was a wizard yeah however it is widely accepted that he was mostly illiterate as a child and had a bit of criminal sort of upbringing, drinking, stealing, and just generally being a bit of a shithead. So in 1886, he met his future wife, uh, Praskovia, and after a few months, they were married. In 1897, Rasputin's interest in religion was forged anew, and he left his wife and family, His at that stage they had two children, to go on a pilgrimage. Stories of why he actually left the town have been varied, with some saying that he left under the guise of a spiritual awakening, when in actual fact a lot of people think it was to avoid charges for stealing horses. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. Being like, oh, honey, I'm going to go pray. Yeah, I'm going to go and get like, some cigars. And you're like, why? You're like, just... Just look, if any cops come around, just say I'm fucking praying, all right? Jesus ask Christ. Are horses? I yeah. know nothing. <laughs> so at this stage, he is 28 and he's been married to his wife for a decade. Uh, he finds his way to a holy monastery in Verkhotia, where he remained for several months. He eventually returned home where everyone says he's a changed man. His physical appearance has changed dramatically. He looks much more disheveled and unruly. He's got kind of longer hair, a big beard. He quits drinking and adopts a vegetarian lifestyle. And it's at this stage that he begins to be given the moniker, the mad monk. Most of his time is spent praying and singing. And he spends the next few years engaging in a nomadic lifestyle, leaving his family for months at a time to wander the countryside and visit various holy sites. During the early 1900s, word of his popularity had begun to spread, and across the years he had built up a small circle of dedicated followers who comprised of his own family members and villagers in the small town he lived in, and they prayed with him, eventually building their own makeshift chapel where they held secret prayer meetings away from the suspicious eyes of the local priests and other villagers. So at this time, the main religion in Russia and uh, Siberia where... Grigory was born Mm -hmm. is Russian Catholic Orthodox. Right. So, you know, very old school as a lot of Catholic religions are. Yes, yeah. 
So Rasputin quickly builds up suspicions of being a cult leader with rumors of sexual orgies, self-flagellation, which is like self-whipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start to kind of circle around him and the group that he's amassed. Despite all these rumors, though, he slowly makes his way up the ranks despite having no formal upbringing in the Russian Orthodox Church. He's just kind of a lot of uh, reports and documents on him say that he was a very charismatic man. So he essentially charmed his way through the ranks. Uh, And he develops a reputation as a holy man who can solve people's sort of spiritual issues. He eventually works his way up enough to be moved to St. Petersburg, which is the main city of Russia, where he's introduced to even more leaders within the church. One of the leaders, one of the leaders, Theophan, is so impressed that he invites Rasputin to live with him in his home, hmm. and he quickly becomes one of Theophan's most powerful and influential friends, climbing further and further up the ladder. So we're at a time in Russia's history where the aristocratic society is becoming increasingly bored and their interests are branching out from, you know, that very staunch Russian Catholic into spiritualism, increasingly more interested in the occult and the supernatural. So Rasputin's interesting beliefs and his odd behavior kind of make him almost like a sideshow attraction within the kind of higher up ranks of the Russian family. Mm -hmm. So Rasputin finally meets the Tsar. The Tsar? The Tsar. Wow. There you go. Finally meets the Tsar in 1905 at the palace. And according to records found in his diary, Nicholas was immediately taken with Rasputin, calling him a man of God. In 1906, he meets the Tsar again alongside his family. And this is essentially where the story that we all know from the history books and the Disney movie kind of takes off. So one of the Tsar's children, Alexei, had a rare blood disorder, which we now know as haemophilia. So essentially it means you are prone to getting internal bleeds and your blood doesn't clot very easily. So if you get a cut, it just doesn't really stop bleeding. Which is, I believe, what the royal family have in their genetics as well. So it was a genetic uh, disease, but Alexei, their youngest son, had it very, very bad. Yeah. So Alexandra, the Tsar's wife, believed that Rasputin was helping to heal Alexei and her and her family develop incredibly close ties with him. And his, quote, powers do actually seem to work. There are two recorded occasions on which Alexei had developed life-threatening bleeds and after praying for him, Alexei seems to heal. Doctors at the time are unable to explain the miracles and even today, historians say that the miraculous recoveries remain one of the biggest mysteries of the Rasputin legend. The Tsar's sister, Grand Duchess Olga, wrote that she observed Rasputin healing Alexei by kneeling at the foot of his bed and praying. The calming atmosphere that he created in the palace may have assisted with the recovery, but some people have also said that what could have actually been the potential biggest aid was that he encouraged the family not to give Alexei medicine, like traditional medicine. Right. So at the time... Penicillin or aspirin was a very new found thing that was all the rage and kind of seemed, it was seen as a cure-all. Like you got a cut, you took aspirin. Mm -hmm. You had fever, you took aspirin, which is a blood thinning agent. So a lot of people think at the time that him simply telling them to stop shoving aspirin down Alexi's throat probably assisted with his already fucked up blood 
not getting made thinner by the constant aspirin in his system. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So his healing of the Tsar's son shoots him into kind of legendary status and he's granted an enormous amount of power and status within the court. As his influence grows, it kind of snowballs. So he keeps making more powerful friends and then through those friends he meets more powerful friends and he's suddenly kind of got this status as like the Tsar's right-hand man a lot of people said allegedly that he was the one that would smuggle nicholas cocaine because the czar allegedly had a wild interesting he was a coke fiend right and rasputin would be the one that would get him coke and opium already you've healed his son through miraculous means you're dependent on this man because he's giving you coke yeah like fucking has influenced his way into this System. Yeah, and a lot of people have also speculated that Rasputin uh, could have potentially used hypnosis on Nicholas to kind of gain his trust and, and move up through the ranks. That's kind of... I don't think he needs it. I think he's already yeah, done Yeah, I think he was just very bit. charismatic yeah. and he fed him drugs. I mean, we all know of people just like that in today's world mm. who are just so charismatic they just find their way into something. Yeah, so he's in this very, very high point of power within the Russian royal family, essentially. However, traditionalists within the church hate him, and as his followers grow, so does his opposition. So Rasputin presented himself in the imperial court as a holy man, despite having no formal affiliation with the Russian Orthodox Church, and he kind of spoke as a self-appointed representative of the peasants, having that he'd come from one. But his behaviour away from the court kind of offered a very different picture. He was often drunk and had affairs with women despite being married for a very long time and having children. He kind of didn't, he picked whoever he'd sleep with court women. He'd sleep with sex workers. He kind of seemed to have no qualms where he went. And it was basically a a scandal. He appeared to bask in the fame though, showing off shirts embroidered for him that had been given to him by the Empress and inviting her friends and servants back to his home in his hometown. By 1907, the SARS, their secret police and higher ups within the church absolutely despise him and label him as a heretic. As well, the press would have a field day spreading rumours about him as far as they could, actually based off some laws that the Tsar Nicholas himself had bought in for freedom of press. So they're like, cool, we can say whatever the fuck we want about this dude. Right. So they would, they called him a pedophile, they accused him of rape, and then a governess within the court accused Rasputin of rape, and his closeness with the young Grand Duchesses is seen to many as inappropriate. So the Grand Duchess being Anastasia. Yeah. So although letters released between the Grand Duchesses and Rasputin that they would send to each other when he would return home seemed to kind of support that the relationship was entirely harmless and he thought of them like his own children and they thought the same of him. The most famous of the Grand Duchesses wrote to him, My dear, precious, only friend, how much I should like to see you again. You appeared to me today in a dream. I am always asking Mama when you will come. I think of you always, my dear, because you are so good to me. However, Rumours persist and the growing hatred of Rasputin gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Finally, on the 12th of July, 1914, Rasputin suffers his first assassination attempt. 
A young woman named Chionya, who was a follower of a priest who had previously supported Rasputin, stabs him in the stomach. And this is kind of where his legend begins. So he's stabbed in the stomach and seriously wounded. And for a time, many believed that he would die. But after a lengthy hospital stay, he recovers completely. After the first failed attempt, a group assembles to try and do the job properly, led by Prince Felix Yusupov and followed by a group of right-wing politicians. They form a plan to try and kill him. Little is known about what actually happened on the evening of Rasputin's death, so it it ranges from very boring, which was he got shot and he died, to very, very exciting, which is... They they stabbed him and they poisoned him and they shot him mm. and they tried to set him on fire and this dude just would not die. There is a widely accepted uh, plan of events that was given by Yusupov himself, but a lot of people have also said that this like this story of what happened wasn't released until he wrote a book. So right. a lot of people are like, yeah. you made this up to sound exciting to sell books. Yeah. So on December 30th, 1916, Rasputin is invited to the home of Felix Yusupov where he's led to the basement. He's given tea and cakes which had reportedly been laced with cyanide. He eats multiples of them over the evening and Yusupov is surprised when he complete, when he appears completely affected by the cyanide. He's plied with wine, which is also laced with cyanide. And at around 2.30 a.m., Rasputin appears entirely unaffected, despite the fact they've been giving him poison all night. Yusupov retrieves his gun and goes back downstairs, telling Rasputin that he'd better look at the crucifix and say a prayer. He then shoots him once in the chest, and thinking that he is dead, him and his conspirators leave for several hours. When they return to dispose of Rasputin's body, he leaps to his feet, tackling Yusupov and chasing him out of the house into the courtyard before being shot again, this time killing him. Rasputin's body is then dumped off the side of the Petrovsky Bridge. Some reports said that when the body was autopsy, no poison was found in his system, however. Initially, reports said when his body is pulled from the river, he had water in his lungs, indicating that he was still alive, despite multiple gunshot wounds. Uh, although this has kind of been debated. So some people say he had water in his lungs, indicating despite being shot three times and poisoned, he was still alive when they dumped him in the river. And some people say, no, he had no water. He died from the guns. Although Rasputin was dead, the last of his prophecies was yet to unfold. Shortly before his death, he'd written to the Tsar Nicholas to predict that if he were killed by government officials, the entire... <clears throat> imperial family would be killed by the Russian people. 15 months later, his prophecy comes true when the Tsar, his wife, and all their children are murdered by assassins amidst the Russian Revolution. Damn. Finally, the last tidbit that has contributed to the strange legend of Grigory Rasputin, when he was burned on his funeral pyre, multiple accounts said the body sat up in the flames, eyes wide open, before finally succumbing to the flames. A lot of people have said this can be very easily explained. <clears throat> Apparently when you burn bodies, uh, the tendons and muscles as the body starts to burn get tighter Contract. and constrict. So traditionally you're supposed to cut any major tendons so they don't shorten and make the body literally sit up in death. Yeah. 
because it's just so constricted. I read something online that said it's uh, very common in places like India where they do uh, traditional funeral pyres that people around will have like wooden it's so common that these bodies stop they have wooden bats to like push the bodies back yeah, down sort of like a curling process yeah but obviously with all of the strangeness around his death the fact that all these people are like wow this guy's finally dead and then he sits up in the fire yeah, and they're like yeah. what the actual fuck it's the one thing you after another was supposed to be dead what yeah what Especially like the rumors of poison, gunshots, drowning, and then that yeah. in itself, the prophecy as well, like that's insane. So a lot of people speculate that the story of what actually happened to him was far less exciting, that they just took him to a basement and shot him. Um, and then this Prince Felix uh, kind of spun this amazing story in order to sell more books. Just plausible. But it is much funner to think that this amazing mystical man who kind of worked his way up from a peasant to one of the most powerful religious men in Russia Yeah, is kind of an amazing story. It's kind of fucked up too that just someone who really made a name for themselves and made something of themselves from seemingly nothing Mm. is just sort of shut down for that fact. It's very like, you know, Martin Luther King... Yeah, well, I don't... uh, A lot of people kind of question why, like, what was his ulterior motive to getting so close to the Tsar and potentially lying to them. So I don't necessarily know if he was a great stand-up guy. Which is fine, but it it seems like, for the most part, these people just didn't like him because he was a peasant. Yeah. And that's just kind of like... That's kind of gross. Like, yeah, like I mean, he. it seems like he kind of just was digging the vibe of being a very influential person and being highly re- religious. Mm. But, yeah, it's... I, get, I don't know. If he's um, sleeping around with women and getting drunk and all the while toting the sort of religious profile, it does sort of pull it all into question... Somewhat. But, uh, and also a fun, another little tidbit, uh, in 2019, there was a big police bust that happened through the dark web for a Austrian cocaine ring. They were operating under the name of Rasputin for cocaine. That was their dark web shop name. Right. So they kind of had this coke ring. And their profile picture is like a, a GIF image of Rasputin. So, okay. very well, interesting. Someone's majored in marketing, yeah, or so, history. Yeah. Who knows? Well, there you go. That was um that was actually very interesting and very informative because I've I've always heard of like you know the story of Rasputin and you know obviously the Disney story and whatnot, but that's. Now I have, like, all the facts to put mm. to a name and a face. But I found it very interesting that Disney chose to take, like, go down the pipeline of 
somehow the Sars family had murdered him and so he was coming back from the dead to like wreak revenge on Anastasia and I'm like well actually they had nothing to do with him dying like yeah, they were but, fucked over by the Russian people I as mean, well I mean Disney has a history of taking a story and completely spinning it into yeah. I mean even to this day with Marvel it's like they're taking comic book stories and they're like let's just do something different with that mm-hmm. you know that that is a very Disney trope to do you know but yeah, I mean? that is the that's the the real story of Grigory yeah. Rasputin. There you go. There you the go. The Mad Monk. The Mad Monk, which is also a cool name, isn't it? Give. Isn't yeah, it very that's cool? That's just very cool. All right, we'll take a short break, and when we get back, we'll dive into my case. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. back. We Got a are little back. wine refill. Yes. If you are listening at home, it's probably in the morning when you're listening to this. So don't drink wine during the morning or, you know, or do it if you want. We don't judge. Yeah. We don't give it. We don't really. If you do, do whatever you want to do. Um, if you are listening at home and you've got nothing to do, you're just chilling out. Maybe, you know, it's been a hard day. You know, just have pour yourself a little glass of wine. We're drinking a um, a very fancy wine that we got from this service that provides different bottles that yeah naked wines if you ever want to sponsor yeah. us um i have no idea what this wine is called but it's delicious it came it's, with a um, cork which always yeah just, i think is so fancy it, it always i tend to find corked wines are generally pretty decent i wonder if they are actually better if it's just like the placebo effect of being like ooh. no that is it's fancy. that's pretty decent yeah, um, really I do nice. like that one. It tastes like Ribena. Yeah, it, it's for just adults. good, good grape juice. Anyway, I have a, another Australian story for us this week, and it's um it's a pretty intense one and features kind of uh, there's a bit of a badass sort of moment in it that really sort of pins things together. Okay. But without any further ado, I am talking about Paula Denya, who was born on the 14th of April, 1972, to British immigrants' parents, Anthony and Maureen Denya, in Campbelltown, New South Wales. Now, for purposes of the telling the full story here, um, I will be referring to Paula as such, though I do need to mention just because during the events of this case... Um, Paula was identifying as a male who was born as Paul Charles Denyer. And as you know, we are an LGBT-friendly podcast, so I won't be focusing too much on their dead name, and I will be referring to them as they, them. Um, But during these events, and it's important to know that this was as Paul that were doing these things. I just wanted to point that out. So their parents had immigrated to Australia in 1965, eventually settling in Melbourne. Due to their difficulties finding their place within the community, Daniel grew up without uh, many friends and grew up with self-confidence issues, especially with their subsequent weight gain. And by the age of 11, Denya had slashed the throat of a teddy bear owned by their sister and slit the throat of a family cat before hanging it up on a tree. So we're not off to a good start. 
At 13, they were arrested for stealing a car. And then later at 15, they were arrested again for assaulting another student. After leaving school, they also had issues with keeping jobs, having been fired at least seven times. And eventually, they tried to join the Victoria Victorian police, but they failed the physical. Which is insane to me to think that police in Australia have a physical. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about... Some of the I fucking they must. some of the cops I you see driving around are like sixty years old. Well, I guess once you pass the physical, maybe you yeah, don't have maybe. to ever. Which do is it kind again? of fucking weird to I be like, know. you passed it once, you're probably good. Yeah, don't work on your cardio; it's fine. I feel it's uh, so at this age, uh, Denya had began an interest in stalking and assaulting women. So over five months in 1993. Denya would stalk the suburbs of Frankston looking for women. As far back as it's known, the first incident happened in February 1993. Denya had broken into the unit of Donovan's living in Seaford. This, along with several disturbing phone calls left, uh, Vans would soon become afraid of being alone in her room uh, and in a unit. So arriving home at 1am after being out of the house for just about an hour with her boyfriend, they came home to find their cat dead with its throat slashed, along with images of female pornography and a message written in blood on the wall saying, Donna, you're dead. Now, unsurprisingly, Donna yeets the fuck out of that unit and moves in with her sister, who, funnily enough, lived in the unit next to Denya's. Oh, okay. The 18-year-old Elizabeth Stevens came from... Tasmania in January 1993 to study at TAFE in Frankston in Melbourne. If you don't know what TAFE is for our American listeners, it's basically like a secondary um, education. I don't know what the equivalent would be, like community college. Maybe? I guess so, yeah, yeah. It's basically one step behind university or, you know, a bit more accessible for people who don't have mm-hmm. a degree in in universities. Sort of, it's more so for like trades, um, I guess institutions, shorter courses. courses, Yeah, yeah. I took one for music and that got me into university for reference. Uh, But anyway, she was living in Lang Warren with her auntie and uncle. On Friday the 11th of June 1993, she got on a bus stopping on Cranbourne Road. Her family had expected her home around 8pm, but when she did not return, they began to worry. At 10 p.m., her uncle got into his car and began searching for her with no success, so they eventually contacted police around 1 a.m. Due to bad weather, searches were unsuccessful and she wasn't found until the next morning by a man noticing her partially concealed in Lloyd Park Reserve. She had been strangled, stabbed, and her throat had been slashed and a crisscross pattern had been carved into her chest. Thursday, 8th of July, about a month later, 41-year-old Rosa Toth was coming off of Seaford Railway Station and walking home along Railway Parade. At around 5.50pm, she was walking past Seaford North Reserve when she noticed a man lingering around the toilet block. Shortly after passing him, she was attacked and dragged off into the park. The man was holding a gun to her head, but she noticed that it was a fake, so she feigned submission until she found a chance to run away and escape, and she did just that. Smart girl. Yeah. She then flags down a driver, and she returns back to the road. Um, as she returns back to the road, sorry, and the driver who picks her up drives her home. 
On the very same night, 22-year-old Deborah Freem was abducted in her, in her car. She left her newborn child home with a friend while she went off on a short trip to pick up some milk. Um, she left the house around 7 p.m. And though at 8 p.m. she still had not returned, so her friend con- contacted Deborah's boyfriend. Together, they drove around looking for her and this proved unsuccessful, so they reported her missing to Frankston police. It wasn't until a few days later on the afternoon of Monday, 12th of July, that a farmer found Deborah's partially covered body on Taylor's road. Just like Elizabeth Stevens, she had been strangled, stabbed, and her throat had been slashed. Then on Friday, the 30th of July, a 17-year-old student, Natalie Russell, was attacked on her way home from school at John Paul College. Important to notice that at this time, as there had been two confirmed murders and one attempted murder and assault, this met was met with a lot of media coverage and all the schools are telling students to be careful on their way home. Parents are telling them to, you know, walk in pairs, yeah, everything like that. Freaking out. This is in Frankston. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's just a big deal. Despite this, Natalie took her usual shortcut home to Frankston Road, which is a fenced walkway that passes between two golf courses on Sky Road. She was reported missing at 8 p.m. and soon after her body was found through a large hole in a wire fence from the walkway. As with the other victims, she was found killed in a similar fashion, strangled, stabbed, throat slashed. However, the badass that she is, 17-year-old Natalie puts up a fucking fight, gets DNA everywhere around the scene. Mm. Not everywhere, but she leaves DNA behind from this attacker which is just fucking amazing um since the murder of elizabeth stevens police began a large-scale hunt to find the person responsible this only served to escalate as the more and more attacks were happening with no external forensic evidence found at either stevens or freem's murders connecting the two attacks with the attack from the description Roz, Roz Toff was able to give. This gave police a general ability, uh, a profile to sort of work with to form a suspect profile. They deduced that they were dealing with a male likely unemployed or working a menial job, living locally aged between 18 to 24, average looking and living alone. Near the track on Sky Road where Natalie Russell was murdered, uh, a post, um, a post person, I don't know what the the term is for that. Post delivery person. Delivery. Um, I believe it was a woman. Postwoman. Postwoman. Just call it postie. Sure. A postie. One of the, a a postie was noticed a rusted yellow Toyota Corona, missing its number plates with a man inside using binoculars. As she was on her way to call the police at a nearby nearby house, she noticed that uh, Natalie was walking towards the track alone, and the man was soon observing her and ran up the tracks soon after. Mm. Police arrived to that area on the day that Natalie had actually been murdered, and they noted the registration label number on the car and checked a few houses nearby knocking on the doors, but ultimately they got another call and they left before the man would return back to his car. Mm-hmm. Later on in this investigation, three holes were found in the fence on the walkway, uh, cut with the same tool and with blood traces on one of the holes. They also found skin and hair traces, though after forensics were found, uh, they found not to be belonging to Natalie or any of the other 
victims. Eventually, the registration details led investigators to the suspicious car owner, a person by the name of Paul Charles Denyer. Detectives visited Denyer's small unit at 186 Frankston Dandenong Road in Seaford the afternoon of 31st of July, a unit they shared with their then-girlfriend and next door to Donna Vane's sister. Denya admitted to being within the general vicinity of both the Freem and Russell murders at the time of their murders and was taken to Frankston Police Station. At 9.20pm, they were interviewed by investigators and Denya had no solid argument for why they were in the vicinity of the murders, nor the <clears throat> cuts and scratches Ooh. they had on them. Uh, and Denya... Just he, they admitted to having their DNA taken, and this then led them to think, well, they have my DNA. It's only a matter of time before they link my DNA to the crime. So they fully admitted to all the murders, um, including the assault on Rosa Toff and the slasher break-ins. So Denya told detectives that. They had been stalking women for years and that they had desires to kill from the age of 14 due to a general hate towards women. Denya was subsequently charged with three counts of murder and one count of uh, abduction, which they later pled guilty to and did not contest. Denya was determined not legally insane, though they were determined to have a sadistic personality disorder. On the 20th of December 1993, Denya was sentenced to three consecutive sentences of life imprisonment with no parole, though later through an appeal they lodged and was heard in July 1994, they were granted a non-parole period of 30 years. This would be up to 2023. So, in less than two years, they can apply for parole. Interesting. Yeah, which is kind of fucked up. In April 2013, the Herald Sun created a website containing images and of letters written by Denya in 2003 and 2004 to another inmate titled the Paul Denya Letters, which, let me just just point out something. That's kind weird. of fucking weird. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, and those, I, I don't know if there's a Herald Sun anywhere else besides Australia, but that is a publication, news outlet. Mm. Uh we that they created an entire fucking website for this. Anyway, in these letters, Denya claims that they had suffered from gender dysphoria for most of their life. And in the very first letter, dating 20th, 29th of November 2003, Denya began identifying as female of that same year. So their gender dysphoria and them believing that they're not male is what they think led them to commit such murders as an, quote, act of revenge against women or right. assigned female at birth women. Um, since then, Denya has attempted to wear women's clothing and makeup while in prison, which they do not allow, and has also appealed for sex reassignment surgery, which also has been rejected. Uh, as... Um, as has been told through people in the general support groups and at prisons, they believe that Denya truly does feel that they are female and yeah. wants to go through with the surgery, which you know is a big step and a pretty clear sign that someone has 
you know. Gender dysmorphia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't talk too much on it because it is a murderer and I don't necessarily want yeah. to talk about it that and much. And we're also not experts on the subject by Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the, like the families of some victims have called this like sick and a stunt. Um, I won't really go into that because yeah. I don't want to say anything like that. Um, I do want to point out though that um, the... The passing where um, where Natalie Russell walked through the track where she was murdered has now been renamed Nat's Track in her memory. Oh, I like that. Um, so if you are in that area in Frankston North, um, which passes through two golf courses on Sky Road, that little pass there is now known as Nat's Track. Um she is a fucking badass 17-year-old schoolgirl who f- fought back and ultimately led investigators to find out who yeah. this was along was, with you Yeah, know, it was the DNA evidence. The DNA evidence was in, in, in incidentally it was what led Denya to be like, "Oh fuck, they've got me." Yeah. Um before they even really nailed him with it. Yeah, they were um, like they're gonna link the DNA. But now. it is if if it got to that point where he was denying, where they were denying it, you know, it, it would it would come to the point where like, well, we have your fucking DNA, yeah. and we've run tests, yeah, you know. Um, but still, just fucking badass, mm. and all props to the person who the male woman who saw something weird happening, yeah, and reported actually, and, it. Caught the fucking police. Yeah. Which is just such a weirdly minuscule thing that you get in these cases. It's what you need to do. Like, that's the thing. It's like, we've said this a few times on this show. It's like, call the cops, apologize later. Like, if you see a dude or a woman, but let's be real, mainly dudes. Yes, let's be real. Um, Acting sketchy, like. Look, he was in a car. With fucking binoculars. Now, yeah. like, look, you can explain that to the cops later on that you're just bird watching. That's fine. No harm, no foul. It is what it is. Maybe don't fucking sit in the car with binoculars. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, that's fucking weird. Maybe go to yeah. nature and watch some birds there. But, like, if you see someone with binoculars in a fucking car, probably yeah. call the police immediately. Yeah. Just... Call the cops, apologize later. Yeah, especially when there's been two fucking murders and attempted murder. Yeah. 100%. And you see a schoolgirl walking alone. Like, she did the perfect thing. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is, is somewhat of a, a rare thing in these cases, unfortunately. Mm. But, you know, I did, I did think that was very nice that they renamed the track, Nat's track. Um, if I remember in Frankston again, I might check it out. Um, pay my respects. Uh, but yeah, rest in peace to all the victims who suffered at the hand of this person. Um, it is horrible that something like this happened, and you know it, it's it's um, they have said that they have done it because of a a they said at, at, in their first initial reason was for a general hatred of women. Mm. Next, it was a jealousy of women being um you know afab yeah and 
yeah, later it was, so it's this weird sort of thing. It's like, I don't really know. I can't really deduce or figure why. Yeah. This sort of happened because even at the early, you're never going to know why, but even at the early stages of like slashing throats of toys and it's very violent of, of, of a cat at like the age of 11. Yeah. You know, it seems like there was some, yeah, sadistic qualities. Yeah. Which, you know, from the get there might've been like, if someone had gotten in there with some sort of doctor or mental health check, like could have been prevented, yeah. you know, you never know. But anyway, that is the case of Paula Denya, um, a very, very, very hard to read case. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there you go. I think that just about sums up the main portion of the show. Yes. So if you're new around here, we run through the stories that we're covering for the week and then Tama and I just basically shoot the shit for a little bit at the end. So for those of you who just come for the true crime, thank you for joining us and we'll catch you on Friday for our bonus on the rocks episode. For those of you who stick around, welcome. 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 This has been a relatively somber episode because I think we're both like just a bit exhausted. <laughs> we're both very tired. So yeah. I feel like that usually makes for pretty funny content at the end when we're yeah, both tired. Yeah, it does. And when we're, we're just, just losing our we're fucking minds. We're delirious. Yeah. Um, and I've had a glass of wine. So that's really adding to the whole sleepy... Sleep, sleep vibes. Then, yeah. And I just got back from my first class back to kickboxing. In like four months. Yeah, which has thoroughly kicked my ass. And I went for a run, so I'm tired. Yeah. It's just, a, it's a, it's a tired. It's a tired episode. Look, getting your, getting your PJs, no matter what day or time of day it is. I don't care what time, if you're in your car, turn around. Yeah, go home. Put your pajamas on. It's a no bones day. Take a yes, yeah, a no bones day. Uh, get your blanket out. Wrap yourself up. Make a little cup of tea, maybe peppermint tea or uh, whatever kind of tea you like drinking, and just fucking just chill out. Yeah. Listen, Listen to, our to our beautiful raspy voices. Talk about. I don't know what I was gonna say. What? Are, yeah. <laughs> Since the get go has been one of those episodes. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> It started off and you were just like, <laughs> I thought my pun was great. It was, it was very good. There's no disputing. I'm doing Rasputin. Yeah. Which if no one, if someone has opened the episode without reading the title, they're going to be like, what the fuck is happening? Well, does what it says on the label. That is your problem. If you haven't read the title. Oh, I thought you were saying something's my problem. I'm like, no. there's nothing. It's my show, babe. I know. I have no problems. It's also my show. Um, all right, so let's talk about controversial drag race elimination. Oh, what God. was that episode? Yeah. What the fuck, man? So I think it's just sort of gets boiled down to rush development. Mm. I think, honestly, if I can think of anything, it would just be rush development. It was the same thing with Canada's first season. Same thing with Australia's first season. It it is what it is. UK's first season. I was just so confused by that bottom two. And anyway, yeah. 
Didn't make sense. But it is what it is. You see it all the time with movies that come out and they've been rushed. You see it all the time with video games and they've been rushed. The, this, like, look, there's a franchise. Um, there's two franchises. There's EA who do like, oh, do like sports games, yeah. right? And every single year for multiple titles, you know, be it FIFA, be it wrestling, be it NFL, whatever, NHL. There'll be a game every single year. Mm. Does that sound fucking feasible? No. I don't know. It sounds terrible. And guess what? There's a lot of fucking issues with them every single time they come out. Mm. They did the same thing with Ubisoft with the Assassin's Creed games where they did one a year. And you know how big those games are. You've seen me play one, I believe. Hello, Toph. Thank you for joining us. for this. I guess it's a good section for you to join us. She comes in at the end yeah. sometimes. Also, thank you to Belinda for suggesting the uh, story of Paula Denya. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I forgot to mention that before. And I did also notice in the case suggestions, which uh, if you are wanting to suggest a story that we cover, it's in our link tree, which is in all of our, like the link in all of our socials. And you can, it's just a shared Google Doc and you just pop a little bullet point of what you wanted to cover. I noticed that... Um, L has requested we cover the Hatpin murders, which is John and Sarah Macon or Mankin. We oh. have actually already done yes. that um, episode. So, do I know the episode number? No. Was it I'm a good find episode? Find it out right now for you. Do but we know we if have... it was a good episode? No. I don't remember. I mean, it was a it was a while ago. Whereabouts in our episode list was it? And I'll be able to tell you. So we covered that on March 9th. 2021 it oh. was in an episode i covered ian brady and myra hindley and tama did john and sarah macon ah uh, yes so if you are that. interested in hearing the hatpin murders you're in luck guess you what? don't have to wait we've guess already what? done it it's there Sometimes I forget that we've done literally like 60 episodes of this show. It's I know. It's fucked up. Uh, and I'm waiting for the day where like one day I'll be like, like writing oh, there's notes. there's no more murders to talk Well, about. no, I'll be like writing notes and I'll be like, this sounds weirdly familiar. <laughs> well, have we already done yeah, this? Yeah, have I done this before? Or, and you know what is also funny? Every single episode we've done this, the countless amount of episodes we've done, we have never done the same case. No. Well, we kind of half talk about it before we... Well, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. But well, like, I always for the most ask part... you who you're doing for that exact reason because I would punch myself in the face if I went and did True. hours of research. Well, typically we'll have like, a, you know, one that we want to cover and then we'll be like, we'll know that we want to do it and then we talk about it and then it's like, it's never been a case where we've been like, oh, I was doing that. No. Is what I more so mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to Drag Race. I just think it's literally just that. I think it's just. Yeah, it production. was just weird. It feels like they're trying to really push a storyline, and it feels like they keep getting in these really campy, avant-garde, over-the-top queens like Charity, and then they're like, "We want you to do glam," and it's like, "But that's not their drag." Like, I get, <clears throat> I understand that there's doing something different. But then there's doing something that is just not your drag. So why why would she do that? Like she's not going to come out yeah. in like a Kennedy Davenport beautiful face, beautiful hair gown because that's not 
her the same way that Kennedy wouldn't come out on the runway with some crazy prosthetic goblin nose. Um, interesting about the the goblin thing, though. A lot of people kind of called her out for saying it was probably unintentionally anti-Semitic because um, of World War Two. There are a lot of caricatures of Jewish people portrayed as these like money hungry goblins with the really big noses. Right. I don't think that was what she was going for. Oh no, all, but, but she just addressed it in her Instagram post when she was like, Thanks for my run on the show. Mm. PS like that's not what I meant at yeah, all. I find I'm really sorry if I offended anyone. That's so bizarre if someone would look at that and go, Oh, they're making fun of like this I don't really think anyone like I think most people knew it was unintentional, but yeah. they were like, hey, just like FYI, maybe don't do the big nose when you're talking well, about money. Okay. I think it was specifically the the context of the challenge being like all to do with riches and money. Yeah. And then the nose where people were a bit like, oh, maybe yeah. don't do that again. It is a bit. It's, it's it's a bit of a tricky one because I feel I do like the the concept of having someone who does something a bit different, um, but in a in drag race itself, it's such a thing of like, show us that you're versatile. You know, like show us that you can do. But they'll and and the next stuff. breath they'll be like, but show us charity, and yeah. she's like, bitch. What the fuck do you think I've been doing? But then you told me to show versatility, so I did something else. Which is something that they did so perfectly well in earlier seasons. Like, I think season six, around that sort of era, it was like, you'd had queens, like, adore who were like, I don't really fucking know who I am. Yeah. And then throughout the season, like, they get to the they get to the end, like, final three, I believe. Um, adore was, was in... Final two. Final, final three. Final three. Oh, yeah, Someone, final three, yeah. sorry. Um, and... Throughout that season, you sort of see a growth of like, I don't really cinch my body. I don't really do this. Yeah. I don't really do that. And then like you see by the end of the season, it's like, fuck, she's done really well. And she's grown and she's yeah, sort of she's found her own thing. Form. And then in All Stars, she comes in. She's like, I don't actually want to change. I know who I am. Yeah. Like, I don't really want to fucking do this. Yeah. You know, I think in a sense, like what you're looking for on these shows are people who have established themselves, but are also looking to find themselves in a sense yeah which is why it was so easy to have that in the earlier seasons you know because drag was you know less known than it is now yeah it's very mainstream there are there were less queens um and now we're getting to the stages of like it being like music or any sort of artistry where it's like yeah here's my niche because we don't want to have 50 pageant queens on one season you know what I mean? Like, but then they, there's some niches that they don't really seem to appreciate as much. That's as what I mean. Is. I yeah. think they're just not factoring in that. But you know, thing because you also have Rue, who's a very traditional drag queen mm. who doesn't necessarily reward new styles of drag. Yeah, it does seem a bit like that. You know. Anyway. Yeah. In very smart news. Uh, they've officially so my one of my favorite series Akatar, which is being adapted into a television show, which I'm very excited about. Wow! Uh, it's officially moved from being scripted. They've started filming, 
So no details on the cast or the release date have been released, but it's very exciting to know that they're actually filming. All right. What if they cast your favorite character and it's nothing like how you imagined it? Um, I mean, I'm always willing to give adaptations a try because mm. I think necessarily sometimes the appearance of a character isn't the most important thing. Like it's the personality and the, yeah. and the energy that, that they true. exude. Yeah. Like, you know, it probably, for instance, Vampire Diaries is I didn't read the books, but I, I was obsessed with the television series. I didn't even know there were books. Yeah. It's based off books. Right. Uh, so Elena, the main heroine is supposed to be blonde, blonde hair, blue eyes in the books. Right. But, like, Nina Dobrev did such a fantastic job, job of yeah. portraying Elena. It's like, had I read the books, yeah, sure, I probably would have been a bit, like, taken aback when I was like, oh, all these years I've been reading these books, I've been picturing someone with blonde hair, blue eyes, and mm. now I've got this brunette bitch. But, you know, yeah. she does a fantastic job of, like, exuding that character. So would I maybe be a bit – would it be a bit jarring? To suddenly have someone look so different? Yes, I do think as long as the... My main thing is get the story right. I would be happy to have characters that look the exact opposite of what I thought they were going to if it's a good script and they and it's a good adaptation and they nail the story. Yeah, you know who's done that pretty well has been The Witcher Netflix series so far. Mm. I can tell you as someone who's played the games and read the books, it's been pretty fucking spot on so far. So, yeah, I'm, I am very excited for them to release the casting, mainly mm -hmm. for one particular character that I can dribble over a little bit, mm -hmm. um, which I will be a little bit upset if they fuck up his casting. But... Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Tama has agreed to read the book, which I'm very excited. Yeah, when I'm... He's going to give I guess it... when I'm done... The latest um, Song of Ice and Fire books. Look, I'm really you're really going to take a tumble from some excellent high fantasy to yeah. some not to some as very smart. It's not really that smutty, to be honest. You really don't get into the full smart until you get to the fifth book, and you got you got a while to go. Gotcha. The first book I don't think has any sex scenes. The second book has like a couple, but they're right at the end. Mm. The third book is fantastic in terms of plot. I got to the point where I was like, I don't even care if there's no sex because I'm just so enthralled I'm so in this plot. so invested in the story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited because I just, I've been rereading. So I just finished the sec rereading the second book for the 85th time. I've got like a weird book hangover. I'm like, I need something as good as this series or I'll just keep rereading this. Yeah, that's series. the thing. Once I finish A Song of Ice and Fire, I'm like, I don't know what I want to get into. Like, Maybe I, that's I, why Akatar will be good for you because it's so different. It'll just like... Well, yeah, and I also need to finish off the Witcher series because I haven't finished off the, the Witcher books at all. Um, as you have one that our friend Noni has suggested to read as well that I yes, will which be also out. has been coming up in some videos on TikTok and it's apparently pretty good. So cool. um I think we'll just call it there because I'm I'm so tired. Tired, yeah. This has been a this is this is let's call this one under the sheets. That's weird. Under the sheets episode. Why because, would we do that? Because we're having like a sleepover party. We're all kind of like hype we we were hyped up on sugar. 
I love we how you're a... assuming everyone else is also tired. Listen, just listen. Okay. And and we watched a couple of movies and now we're kind of like just somberly lying down in bed. And you know, you don't go to sleep straight away. You kind of talk for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then once talking's done, you're like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep. That's what this is. Okay. So that it's been a... fun. It's a... been real fun, guys. Okay. Um, that was a weird comparison. Why do you have to shit on like everything I do? I don't. You do. Shit You're like, why you are you such a fucking idiot? Yeah. And I'm okay. like, I'm just trying to like be a good host. I love how people probably think from this show we have a terrible relationship because we just yell at each this other. This isn't uh, a joke as well. This is okay. Laura's genuinely abusing me. Right. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm not, so. The code word for this week. <laughs> Okay, we'll just wrap it up. Wrap this shit up? Let's just wrap this shit up. What's the code word? The code word is... Beans. Yeah, let's do beans. And for once, you may be... I don't have beans in front of me. It was just the first... Literally the first word that came to my head. Right. I don't have like a bowl of beans in front of me because that would be really I, I honestly can't think of anything ever since soaking... <laughs> That's just it's only it's just lives in my brain. And people keep tagging yeah, it's you so in good. videos on TikTok about <laughs> it's it. It's so good. It's become like your weird oh. niche thing that people know time yeah, often best of cold as the on, soaking guy. Someone on TikTok was like, I can't believe this lives in my brain now and the because first thing you. I thought of was you while hearing this TikTok about soaking. Oh dear. We um, love that. That's we wanna embed ourselves in people's yeah. brains like that. Anyway, code word is beans, definitely not soaking. Um I think it's so beans. I think it's time to put an end to the soaking chapters. We're closing the soaking chapter. Yeah. yeah. And the jump humping or whatever the Jump humping. That's yeah. it. Yeah, very good. You're learning. I remembered. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Thank you for joining us for another week. You can follow us on socials at the BSC podcast. If you do have a case that you would like to suggest, head to our link tree and it's just down the bottom. It just says suggest a case and you just leave a little suggestion and yeah. we will cover it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it at some point. Eventually. Eventually. But yeah, thanks for joining us for another week and we will catch you on Friday for On the Rocks. And we hope you have an excellent week. Bye. Bye.